Good morning, friends, and welcome to worship here at Grace Church. It is my joy and honor as ever to be here with y'all this morning to have this opportunity to praise the Lord together. I invite you to bow your heads and join with me in a word of opening prayer. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for this chance to come into your presence. We give you thanks for this chance to feel you moving in this place. We give you thanks for the gift of your spirit and the gift of your word. Loving God, take this time and multiply it. Take this time and sanctify it. Turn this time into holy time and wherever we are into holy ground. That if we are here together in the sanctuary, may we feel you moving in our brothers and sisters. If we're joining in online, make wherever that may be then your holy ground, your place of worship, that this may be a time and a place holy, holy, and wholly dedicated to you. Loving God, may we worship you and see you clearly and be convicted by you this morning. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that you are indeed the God of our creation, but you are also the God of our salvation, and you are the God that is present here in your spirit. And so, God, we give you thanks for the hundreds of billions of acts of love that you have poured into our world and poured into our lives, that you move in such mighty ways. God, we give you thanks for you love in such deep ways god we give you thanks for that and so in that spirit of deep thankfulness knowing with confidence what you have done in the world we come to you in our hearts this morning and lift up those prayers those pains those sufferings and those joys that are on our hearts this morning in particular we lift up stacy tyler um, his mom his family his mom was taken to the hospital uh, with uh, with intestinal issues been really rough. And so, God, uh, we pray uh, for her. We pray for her healing. We pray for her doctors and her nurses that they may know what to do. We pray that she may be healed, and we pray that Stacy may be at peace. We lift up Andrew Crow, uh, who is recovering uh, from a car accident. God, we give you thanks. That was not nearly as bad as it could be, that even if the truck is totaled, that Andrew is not. Uh, but, God, uh, we pray uh, for your strength and your comfort and healing uh, to be with him. Uh, we lift up uh, the family and friends of Susan Davis, um, a teacher in PISD who passed away uh, this week. Uh, suddenly, God, uh, we pray uh, for their comfort that they may know you in this time. Um, and, that, and we lift up Atina Snellens. I'm probably saying this wrong, but you, go oh God, know who I mean, uh, who is having medical tests, and we pray that they will uh, be good. And God, we also lift up all of the pain and suffering that is moving in this world. We lift up the ongoing uh, coronavirus pandemic that has impacted and claimed so many. We pray for healing for those who are sick, comfort for those who are grieving. We lift up in particular also the nation of India that is seeing just an unprecedented uh, level of outbreak. And so God, uh, we pray for you to move in mighty ways in those places and in all places. Loving God, stir up in us the ways that we can love, the ways that we can serve. God, help us lead, help lead us away from the things of our past, the things, where, places where we have fallen short. Help us to find once again that 
second chance in you, that forgiving love that we have in you, but loving God, may it not stop in our hearts. May, may what we receive from you not be poured in, never to be poured out. God, may we take what you have filled us with, the love and comfort and forgiveness and strength, and pour it back out into the world as, in wor as works of love and kindness, as going and making disciples, as being your hands and feet in the world, of being passionately directed by who we are and whose we are. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, verses 5 through 12. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had when they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, By what power or but by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, okay, friends, I, I, have, I have a confession to make. My favorite movie involves people in very fancy clothes stealing from other people. I love a good heist movie, and specifically, I love Ocean's Eleven, the incorrect amount. I absolutely love the 2001 version of Ocean's Eleven starring George Clooney, who, by the way, has discovered the secret to immortality and forever youth, apparently. That's a 20-year-old picture of George Clooney. I wouldn't believe it. That could be him yesterday. Um, and Brad Pitt, and kind of every other male Hollywood what actor you kind of like. I absolutely love that movie. I first actually first saw that movie on a church trip, um, and then uh, my friends and I sat in a Denny's until way too late at night uh, planning on how to rob somebody's house because we got so into that movie. I love it. I absolutely love it. It makes me want to steal things. I don't steal things, but it makes me want to steal things because they make it look so good. Um, it is, yes, is absolutely an inspirational film for me, a pastor of Jesus. Um, <laughs> but in that movie, a trope in all of the Oceans movies, whether it's 11, 12, 13, or 8, because that's how counting works, is it often opens on a scene uh, where Danny Ocean or his sister are trying to get parole and get out of prison. And so they're asked a series of parolee-type questions of like, you know, uh, you know, what led you to commit the crimes you did? Well, sir, my wife left me and I got into a vicious cycle. Are you likely to happen again? Well, she 
left me once, she's not going to leave me again. Do you contend to commit more crimes? No, definitely not. I'm def definitely not going to go straight out of here and rob a casino. Do you plan to leave the state of New Jersey? I wouldn't dream of leaving the state of New Jersey, right? He lies, right? The movie opens with him lying to get out of prison. The authorities are trying to keep Danny down, and what's Danny going to do? He's going to say whatever it takes to get out of there. He lies. He's a con man. He lies to get out of prison. But that's it. That is often a response when you have an authority trying to stop you is just tell that authority whatever they want to hear and that way you can shuffle along. I myself have been at a number of, shall we say, dicey border crossings in my life where I'm leaving one country that doesn't like me all that much and going into a country that likes me less. And so did I tell 100% truth to the Israeli Defense Force and the Egyptian army? No, I definitely did not because I did not want to understand what the inside of an Egyptian prison really looks like. Not really the thing I was there to do that day. My, I, I knew some guys in Poland who used to smuggle Bibles into the USSR during the Cold War. I've talked that, about them before. They did it by having a false bottom in their briefcases. And so when they were getting off the train in, in Mother Russia, did they, when the, the guard stopped and like, Da comrade, do you have anything to declare? They did not look and go, yes, there are Bibles in here, let me show you. No. They said, Da comrade, we have nothing to declare. And they snuck on into the country with the Bibles, right? Generally, when the authorities are trying to stop you and the authorities are bad, which is not actually the case in Danny Oceans, okay? But like when the authorities are trying to stop you, bringing Bibles into Russia, getting into Egypt to do mission work, break out of prison so you can rob three casinos all in one night, you lie, tell them what they want to hear, and away you go. Except that's not what Peter does at all in chapter 4 of the book of Acts. Peter in no way lies to the Sanhedrin and instead seems to weirdly double down on this Jesus and salvation and how it's kind of their fault that Jesus is dead message. They're standing amongst people who can kill him. And so that should probably tell us more about how to preach the gospel than, you know, what I'm going to call the Danny Ocean defense, which is just tell them what they want to hear and you get to go away. To catch up where we are in the story, last week we looked at Acts chapter 3, and in Acts chapter 3 opens with uh, Peter and John. They heal a man who was lame from birth, uh, at, and he, he always begged at the entrance to the temple, right? Help me, help me, I'm poor, I need food, right? So he would there at the entrance to the temple, and so a lot of people knew this guy. A lot of people who went to the temple regularly, Jerusalem is not that big a place. He was a fairly well-known crippled guy. And so when he jumps up and is able to walk and is singing God's praises, it's a really public event. People took notice. That led Peter to deliver the really harsh sermon that we read last week that says, look, it's your fault that Jesus is dead. You need to repent. And we were kind of left wondering, how would anyone respond to that harsh rhetoric? I see the look on Joanne's face like, that sounds like a great idea, Peter. You should preach that way to me. Certainly would have worked on me. The thing is, turns out, it absolutely worked on the crowd. Um, as Acts 4.4 tells us, it worked gangbusters. Um, Acts 4.4 4, sa 4, 4 says, but many of those who heard the word believed. 
and they numbered about 5,000. Thousands of people saw Peter and John heal the guy. Thousands of people heard people's sermon and heard Peter's sermon, and thousands of people were convicted in such a way that they came to Christ that day. And so you kind of track the growth of the early church. It's kind of nuts. And so on Pentecost Day, there were about 100 people assembled in a room about this size. This is about the size of the upper room that we read about in Scripture, what we know of. We found it archaeologically. It's, I've been in there. It looks about this size. And this room seats uncomfortably about 135 people. So you could fit, you know, believably 100 people in this room. That was the whole church on Pentecost Day. Then the Holy Spirit descends, they rush out in the street, Peter starts preaching, and thousands more came that day. So we went from hundreds to thousands like that. Here again, we've made that jump yet again. Here again, thousands more have been added to the following. Thousands of more people are coming to Christ. This Christianity thing is becoming a real force to be reckoned with in the world. It is no longer just a fledgling group of a, cu of a couple dozen guys sitting in a room, staring at each other, hoping to God something happens soon. Something happened, and it happened big. There was some less fun consequences from Peter and John healing the guy and then giving a really pointed sermon in the temple. They got arrested. They got arrested by the Sanhedrin. That is the like chief priest and the chief priestly family. That's Annas, Caiaphas, John, uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry. That's those guys named... Um, <laughs> as well as about 35 other folks. So it's a few, a couple dozen, three dozen leaders of the Jewish faith who had direct responsibility to running the temple. But in ancient you know, Judea, as every nation at that time, there was no concept of the separation of church and state. They weren't just church officials with like, churchy duties, right? They didn't just, you know, pick carpet colors and um, fund projectors and whatever else our admin council does, right? They also had, like, the ability to put people in prison um, and put, have, hand them over to the Romans to be put to death. These are the people that put Jesus on show trial and then hands him over to Pilate, right? So these are incredibly powerful people that hold the reins both of religious authority and to a certain extent civic authority. And their, you know, spotlight has swung and is now pinned directly on John and Peter. They've been arrested They've been brought before this council uh, to be put on trial, and they killed Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I know Pilate did the dirty work, but there was their idea. Jesus didn't stay dead, but Peter and John don't know if they would stay dead or not. That's a trick that generally only works once. Deadly enemy, power to kill, has called them in, and there they stand. And you might think, because this is what would happen in my mind, to go back to the Danny Ocean defense. Were you preaching the name of Jesus? No, sir, I was not preaching the name of Jesus. I healed this person because of the temple or whatever you want me to say. Are you going to continue to preach Jesus? No, I would not dream of continuing to preach Jesus. Are you going to leave the state of New Jersey? I have no idea where that is. No, absolutely not. <laughs> right? This is where the Danny Ocean defense would make sense. Just... Tell these bad people 
what they want to hear so you can walk out with your head, as thousands of people have done before, and as thousands of people will do, as I have done at times, as many have done in times. That, as I've said, is exactly the opposite of what Peter does. In Peter, instead, Peter says what is verses 10 and 11. Let it be known to all of you. Excuse me, 11 and 12 is what's up there. It doesn't matter. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that the man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. This is not, no, sir, I didn't do it. No, sir, I won't do the crime again. Yes, sir, I would like to leave. This is, this is what salvation is. This is what we've been doing. This is whose name we've been doing it, doing it in. This is the real power. This is God among us, not just the temple as you claim. He's standing there in front of all of these people who have it in for him. And what he says is, all those things you're mad at me for? Yes, I absolutely did them and I'll do them again. And actually, the council, like, goes and debates among themselves, and there's probably some motions, and there's some voting, and then someone seconds a thing, and, and they come back with a proposal. Okay, Peter and John, we will let you go. They're, we're going to let you go, but you must promise to stop preaching about Jesus. We'll forgive you for this Jesus thing you've been into for a minute, but now you need to stop. And once again, Peter could have used the Danny Ocean defense and said, yep, that's great. Well, th thank you very much and walked on out. And instead he doubles down again and says, look, God has told me to preach this way. You can't get in the way of what God has said to me. I'm going to do this. And at that point they could have killed him. But in verse 21, we hear that they do not. After threatening them again, they don't back down, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all of them praised God for what had happened. They get away. They double down. They say, I'm not going to listen to you. They are brave in their faith. And this time, at least, they get away with it. Do people who do that always get away with it? No, they don't. But in that moment, Peter and John do. But the core of what's happening here is not their miraculous escape, although praise God for that. It would have been rough for that fledgling movement to lose its two key leaders right away. What matters is they had the bravery to stand in front of their deadliest enemy and not let go of the message they'd been sent with, not let go of the good news of Christ, not Danny Ocean their way out of it, but to proclaim what they knew to be true and be willing to face the consequences, whatever they may be. And the truth is, we have a lot of these kind of stories. We have a lot 
of these kind of brave stories that sit at the at, at, uh, sit at the core of our own story, the story of faith, right? Certainly it is uh, John and Peter here before the Sanhedrin. Peter gets arrested by that Sanhedrin a second time and has to break out. We did a whole series called Near Misses the New Testament where I went through all of, the, all of Acts to show all the times they nearly got busted and managed to escape, right? Paul does the same thing in front of the Romans. You can jump forward to our own time, to my friends from Poland who smuggled the Bibles into Russia. That is them doing that same thing. Did they live through it? Yeah, because they could tell me about it. Did they know that it wasn't going to be, hello, comrade, now I will shoot you with an AK-47 or whatever, right? They didn't know. The Russians killed a lot of people. Stalin killed millions. What's two more Christian missionaries? In our Methodist history, the idea of the circuit riders, they would ride out across the wild, wild west with just their saddlebags and a rifle like anyone else riding the range. And they were going from town to town to town preaching the gospel. And they would face all of the things that you face in the wild west, the bandits, the you know, attacks by roving bands, the disease, the snakes, the snakes, the, there are a lot of snakes, right? They faced all of those things, and yet they did it because they bravely sought to share the faith. At every annual conference um, for forever, for a couple hundred years, Methodists gather annually, and worship always opens with the same song. And are we yet alive? Actually goes with, and are we yet alive? I hate this song a lot. <laughs> I just don't like hymns, it turns out. Um, you want to know why they sang that? Because there was some chance that they weren't going to come back alive the next year. This is not about an are we yet alive in our faith. It is, it is really like we have lived through this year and made it back. Another thing we often do at annual conferences, we do memorial services, and that's traditional as well. Now we use it for just someone, people who have passed on, right? Lived to old age and passed on. But often in the early days, it was because they did not live through that year of ministry. And so as someone would be standing there, and are we yet alive, they look to their left and realize that's my right, but look to my right, your left, and go, hey, Fred's dead. Fred's not here. Fred was here last year. Where's Fred? Fred died on the frontier. Right? That's another version of these stories of people who have bravely carried the faith out there. I tell, talk a lot about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who stood up for the Nazis and got killed for it. We have a lot of these brave stories, and we love to tell them because they are inspirational. And they start with Jesus, right? Jesus sets the example for all of this. When Jesus himself goes before the Sanhedrin and gets sentenced to death, but never backs down, for I am who you say I am, right? And when he goes before Pilate, and Pilate's like, I can release you if only you will let me. And he says, I ain't going to let you. You have to kill me, right? He does it. So he sets the example for us. And for, so for everyone who bravely stands up to share the faith, who will bravely get out there, we are not just following in a wonderful history of circuit riders, of Dietrich Bonhoeffers, of my friends from Poland, of Peter, of Paul, of John. We are also following in the steps of Jesus Christ himself. If what me, being a Christian means being a little Christ, to be a little like Christ means to be willingly brave to make sure that God's truth gets out there. Up until now, this has been a pleasant sermon about the bravery 
of those who have come before us. But friends, I now need to turn a corner and ask us all a very uncomfortable question. Do you have your own version of that story in your own life? Where you have bravely done something to get God's word out there. Now, some of y'all have been Christians longer than I may ever be alive, and so the odds are maybe. But I also know the truth of where Christianity is right now is that most Christians, or too many Christians, do not get out there and do not bravely proclaim the word of God. And the trials that we face are nothing compared to the trials that Peter and John faced, or even the circuit riders, or my friends in Poland. At least as of right now, practicing Christianity in the United States is not illegal, and so you're unlikely to get busted and killed by civic authorities for, pre for preaching the word of God. And even if it's less risky, we do face, you know, social isolation, really awkward conversations, the, you know, pain and awkwardness of starting, you know, look, we live in an awkward, self-contained age where no one wants to say anything to anybody because it just feels weird. Trust me, I do it every week, I know. But how many of us really have those stories where we have bravely gotten out there to make sure that God's word gets to the people who need to hear it, to make sure that God's word is shared. If we really believe that there is no other name on earth but Jesus Christ of Nazareth that is our salvation, if we truly believe that the stone the builder has rejected has become the cornerstone, that the risen Lord is what will save us and save this world, why don't we get out there and bravely proclaim it? Overcome our social awkwardness. Overcome our fear of offending people. Overcome our unwillingness to be emotionally vulnerable in the 21st century. We wouldn't be here if Peter and John hadn't stood up to the Sanhedrin and the, the circuit riders hadn't been willing to get on their horses and risk death. And if folks like Bonhoeffer and my friends from Poland didn't risk death to carry the word of God into oppressive places, right? And what they risked is far more than we would. And yet if we look at the state of the church, and I'm not talking about our congregation, this is a beautiful place. But if we look at the state of the church in the United States, and we think of it as declining, do you think the Holy Spirit declines? Do you think the power of God declines? Do you think our need for salvation declines? The only thing that can possibly decline is our willingness to grab hold and bravely take part in what God is doing in the world. That's what can decline. And I fear that's what is declining. It's not Christianity that's declining. It's not the power of the Holy Spirit. That's eternal. And so friends, I challenge us all to get out there and to be brave. Because it's going to take guts. It's scary. But there is no other name that has been given to mortals with the power to save than Jesus Christ. May we then be brave in our declaration of that name 
and not just Danny Ocean our way out of every awkward situation. Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the generations of our forebearers who were brave in you, who carried your word to us. For Peter and for John, for Paul, for Bonhoeffer, the circuit riders, for my friends in Poland and everyone else like them. But loving God, may we also learn from their example of what it means to be brave in our declaration of you, that we too may get out there and bravely declare who you are. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. That is what we are as we were always meant to be. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We are here because of the brave faith of so many. May we get out there and be brave ourselves. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.